Hello, everyone. I'm Art Tomasetti. This is the Flight Test Safety Podcast. October is here, and today, as I am putting this podcast together, I am watching the launch of Blue Origin's new Shepard 18 mission, which includes in the crew one Mr. William Shatner, or as many of us know him, James Tiberius Kirk. He was part of the crew of four that reached an altitude of 350,000 feet and had a flight time of about 10 minutes. It reminded me of some historic events for the month of October that might be related. On the space side, in 1968, Apollo 7, the first manned Apollo spacecraft, was launched aboard a Saturn 1B rocket from Launch Complex 34 in Florida. The duration of the flight of Apollo 7 was 10 days, 20 hours, 9 minutes, and 3 seconds, during which it orbited the Earth 163 times. The aircraft splashed down on the 22nd of October in the Atlantic Ocean. The Apollo Command Module was a conical space capsule designed and built by North American Aviation to carry a crew of three on a space mission of two weeks or longer. And going a little further back to October of 1910, and this would be on the famous people leaving the Earth side, Theodore Roosevelt Jr. became the first President of the United States, well, former President at that time, to fly aboard an airplane. An article appeared in the New York Tribune the following day describing the flight. The aeroplane sped quickly around the field at a height of less than 100 feet. It made the first lap of a mile and a half before news percolated through the crowd that Mr. Roosevelt was Hoxie's passenger. When he swept past the grandstand he leaned forward a bit and waved his hands. The spectators seemed frightened and remained silent, watching the aeroplane intently. The engine cracked regularly, hurling the aeroplane forward at a speed of nearly a mile a minute, but from the ground it looked as though it were traveling much slower because it sailed so evenly and smoothly. At the end of the second lap, Hoxie dipped his planes and the machine descended easily, striking the ground without a jar a few rods from the grandstand. The machine glided over the grass a short distance and stopped. When the spectators saw that he had landed safely, they cheered wildly, and the guards had all they could do to keep the crowd from breaking into the field. Mr. Roosevelt's first act after alighting was to shake Hoxie's hand vigorously. It was great, first class, it was the finest experience I have ever had, he declared. I wish I could stay up for an hour, but I haven't the time this afternoon. And proving that I learned things from this podcast as well, I had to go look up exactly what a rod is. And a rod is 16.5 feet. So remember that next time you've got to estimate a distance to something. Back in August, we began a discussion with Rich Lee on risk and high visibility events. During our interview, we learned about some of the planning, preparation, considerations, and some surprises during Super Bowl 30, where he flew a helicopter into the stadium to pick up Diana Ross as the grand finale to the halftime show. This topic generated a lot of feedback from our listeners, so I thought we would try something new and share some of that feedback this month. We have some questions for Rich, some events that our listeners took lessons from, and some shared personal experiences with risk and high visibility events. So let's jump into our focus for this month, your thoughts and comments. Our first email was from Kevin. Just listened to your podcast with Rich and it got me thinking about a flight in the V-22 during a congressional demonstration day at Quantico, Virginia. The V-22 was on static display for the first time since returning to flight. I was the mission commander and I chose my team. Our departure back to Pax River was scheduled before the end of the day, and we would be taking our senior program leadership back to Pax. We flew the aircraft to Quantico empty. This would be the first flight with passengers, and they were Bell and Boeing executives. Remember, the Osprey had a fatal mishap during the approach to landing at Quantico in the early 90s, which was always in the back of my mind. 
The program goal was for the congressional staffers to watch the leadership get into the Osprey and depart east for home. I only had three months to plan with lots of risks to mitigate. One example was allowing staffers to walk through the cabin with people all around the aircraft, then certify the aircraft safe for flight, push the crowd back for startup, and departure home. We needed to take off, pedal turn, and depart away from the crowd without looking like an air show demo. All I could think of was Han Solo saying, just fly casual. Keep your distance though, Chewie, but don't look like you're trying to keep your distance. I don't know, fly casual. We also got some questions for Rich, which he was kind enough to provide answers to. Listener Tom asked, what queuing did Rich have to the landing zone? Rich's reply, I had established high vertical and horizontal position cues on the top of the stadium for the start of the descent. There was a band of cues for variable angles of descent. One set of cues was a call it off mark that meant I had overflown the point for a safe angle and rate of descent to the pad. It's hard to see in the video, but I also had a geometric set of six cues taped to the platform for approach and touchdown fore and aft positioning cueing. There were marks on the pilot and co-pilot windscreen that we used in conjunction with the ground cues for a poor man's precision approach landing system. There were also two U-shaped pieces of tape that told me the tips of my skids were in exactly the right place on the platform. I am happy to say when I landed, the skids were perfectly placed. If you know where to look on some of the videos, you can actually see those marks. Another question was, how did Diana Ross feel about her safety? Rich's reply, in the beginning, Miss Ross was very concerned, so much so we actually engaged a stunt woman to take her place for testing and practices. After we briefed her on our action plans and risk mitigation strategies, she surprised everyone by asking to participate in stadium landing testing and practices. We gave her extensive safety briefings. She practiced walking to the helicopter, she changed into approved clothing for the ride out, and she practiced getting into the helicopter, helicopter seating positioning, floor, legs out, waist harness and wrist holds so she could wave to the people, and emergency procedures, crash positions and exit strategies, for various events we hoped would never happen. She actually participated in the design of her handholds and seating position and pad. She asked Mike Collins, who would be the one securing her in the helicopter, to work with her almost every day. She attended every stadium briefing and participated in every practice. We never used her stunt double. In the end, she felt safe. We had an after party and her interaction with other participants was very controlled, but when we walked in, she invited Jerry, Mike, and I over to her table. She could not stop talking about her super, super, Super Bowl experience. I have noticed whenever she has a special or there is some program about her, a clip of her Super Bowl helicopter exit is always included. Listener Paul shared an event he actually witnessed that got him thinking. Turbo. One event which fits this topic well is the first captive carry shuttle landing on runway 22 at Edwards in October 1977. I was standing about halfway between the Edwards Tower and the threshold of runway 22. I was in a sea of people, fire trucks, and staff cars. Looking at the video now, the PIO seems rather mild. Seeing it in person in that sea of humanity, it was more dramatic. I saw the initial flare and the shuttle settle below my line of sight over the crowd and the vehicles. It reappeared nose up with a roll oscillation. It was kind of a heart stopper at the time. All four previous landings had been made on the lake bed with miles of runway. This particular landing was on the 15,000-foot concrete runway, but then things got a little bit complicated. His Royal Majesty Prince Charles was to view the landing, and a huge VIP tent was set up south of runway 22, a beam the touchdown point for the shuttle. 
All previous tests had large viewing audience well away from the actual lake bed touchdown and rollout. This one was much larger due to Prince Charles' presence and the crowd was much closer to the action. Maybe too close. The shuttle had some control lag and large pitch inertias were to become a factor seen and mentioned in lake bed landings. Of course, the lake bed landings allowed for relatively low pilot gains. The hard surface landing was likely to drive pilot gains up. Wanting to touch down precisely so Prince Charles had a good view ramped up the pilot gains even further. Looking back, it seems that more thought could have been given to the elements of this test point. The control lag seen on previous lake bed landings and the pilot gain increases demanded by the more precise control of touchdown were signposts. The added pressure to not mess this up in front of the Prince may have been a subtle added pressure on the crew that day. Only a guess on my part, but it does illustrate that there can be external pressures of audience expectations that, like the Super Bowl event, can add an unusual dimension to testing something. Take a look at the video and see what you think. We provide a link to the YouTube video and a NASA paper on the event in the podcast notes. For our final one, a listener shared a very personal account of her own actions during a high visibility event. Before reading her letter, I want to thank her for her willingness to share this account with us. While she admits she did not do the right thing that day, she hopes that in sharing her story, others may take away a lesson that will help them make better decisions. Dear Turbo, I found the article very interesting and definitely it is a matter that every flight test team should discuss. I wanted to share with you my story with regards to high visibility test flights. It was 2015 and the president of our country wanted to be part of first flight of this military aircraft after significant avionics changes. That flight would be live through national television broadcasts with all the news channels broadcasting it simultaneously. While it wasn't really the first flight, it was the third. On other flights, we had had some big errors on the enhanced ground proximity warning system compass. I was to be the one responsible for conducting that flight from the ground. After some analysis and mitigation, I was certain that even with the minimum imperfection of that flight, I would cancel or postpone it regardless of the president's insistence. I mean, no one wants to be famous for being negligent if things go south, right? The flight would just be local and brief. Take off, go around, and land. All VMC, never losing sight of the aircraft. The idea was that when the president said, pilots take off, I would have to communicate to the pilots the takeoff signal. So the day came, and there were many attendees to the show. Cameramen, journalists, politicians, and other VIPs. The airplane was ready on the runway, full thrust, brakes on, waiting for the signal to take off. The TV broadcast was on, and the president was giving her speech. Suddenly, someone from the VIP area crossed to the restricted area, running towards the airplane, which was at full thrust with the brakes on, with a camera trying to get closer to get a picture. What I previously was certain I would do, cancel or postpone the flight no matter what, became less clear in my mind at that moment. So instead of doing the right thing, alerting the pilots to reduce thrust and get ready to turn the engines off if necessary, I ran towards the girl yelling, stop right there, you're not allowed to go there, all while signaling a security person to go after her. Now at this point you may be wondering, why would you do that? And the answer is that there were VIPs watching the flight and expecting it to happen. I just let the pressure get over me. Of course, I would never allow that to happen again, and now I can see how irresponsible it was for me to act like that and not alert the pilots. But for some reason, in that brief moment, it seemed right. But I just did the wrong thing. Fortunately, everything turned out okay, 
the intruder was stopped, and everything was back to normal in less than a minute. No one got near danger in any way, but I knew it probably wasn't because of my professionalism. I thought of sharing this example with you, mainly because it is a lesson learned, and I know others may learn from my mistakes. Also because I felt so identified with that maybe of yours. Listener, thank you again for sharing that with us. You know, your story easily did something I work hard at trying to do. It encouraged us to think and inspired us to act. You know, I felt pretty strongly that this topic about high visibility events and unique risks they may present was a valuable one to discuss. I felt that way because I have my own personal examples of doing the right thing in some of those and doing the wrong thing in others. You know, there is a thrill of performing with an airplane in front of a crowd. There's no doubt about that. But there's also a pressure that comes with that. A pressure that sometimes overpowers our planning, our judgment, and our decision making. I want to thank all the listeners who shared their thoughts with us, shared their lessons with us, and shared their mistakes with us. You most definitely helped with the goal of this podcast, encouraging thought and inspiring action. That's it for this month. Thank you for listening. And you know, every month I ask you for your thoughts and comments. And in this episode, you saw one of the reasons why. We all have great things to share and we can learn a lot from one another. Until next month, be safe, be smart, and be ready. The Flight Test Safety Podcast is sponsored by Time to Climb Training and Consulting. Motivate your team to succeed, accelerate towards your goals, and elevate to a higher level of performance. On the web at www.time2climb.com.